Well, good morning, everyone. Ushers, come forward if you would. We've been waiting for snow, and isn't it great that we get it Sunday morning? <clears throat> That's just where I live. I wish it were a different day, but it does look gorgeous out there. Thank you for braving the snow to come in. We'll share in our offering together. Just a couple of things real quickly as we begin. Uh, it's M25 day. I just want to make a statement to you. I, I pull in, I see the trailer there. I'm always so moved when I see so many of you bringing your groceries in. Uh, here's a ministry that happens every month. And I can tell you right now, that if we had a need, if I stood up here, we got a notification from someplace that said there's a major need, they need food, they need clothing, something, they need it right now, I'd put the, car, the cry out and the church would respond because there's an urgent need and it's in the moment. But there's something about people that just consistently serve and do the right thing over and over again, even when it's just there. You know, M25, it's there every month, sitting in the background. So many of you never forget, uh, and faithfully you come. And even for those of you that sometimes forget, you know, we love you too. Um, and even you sometimes forget, you, you, you'll run out afterwards, uh, talk to someone that goes down to Hannaford after the second, first or second service, and it's packed in there with church people grabbing groceries. Just want to say thank you. We miss the fact that there are people who are dependent upon being able to go to the food shelf. And they can go there because, in part, because of you doing that every month. So thank you for that ministry and participating in it. Uh, you heard a number of things up there. Just uh, Night to Shine's on the way. Uh, buddies, uh, always in need for buddies. And my hope would be that this Sunday, between this Sunday and next, we get that wrapped up. There's a table out in the lobby. You can go sign up right then, fill the paperwork out, and be done. Um, if you are a dancer... That's what we need you to do. If you're not a dancer, that's what we need you to do. If you've ever thought about dancing, that's what we need you to do. If you just are scared to death of dancing, that's what we need you to do because we can help you. We can, we can cure your fears. Uh, night to shine, buddies. We do need people. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, when you're talking about hundreds of, of volunteers just for that alone, uh, that's a need. But you can stop in the lobby after the service and get that all taken care of. We're at one spot. And uh, thank you for doing that. Just before I get to the message, I have a little warning. So if you're here Christmas Eve, I was, you know, fighting something coming on. The thing's been going around. Got through Christmas Eve, and then, of course, it hit me. So the past two weeks, I've been sick. I'm not saying that's, a, you know, not what was me. Yeah, you know, sickness, sickness. But I get the cough thing, <clears throat> that cough thing that's going around. <clears throat> and it's okay if you're not up front and you have a cough thing. I mean, uh, I just want to assure you right now that I'm not infectious. Doctor confirmed it this past week. I'm not infectious. Obnoxious, yes, not infectious. <clears throat> and that was the case before I had the cold. <clears throat> but uh, I'm, I'm doped up this morning to try to fight that cough thing from coming. So one or two things could happen. A, a cough could come. I can't stop it. We'll just have to get through it. I'll try to I got nowhere to go here. Let's just be honest. Uh, so you just put your head down whenever. So that's one thing that happened. Or I'm so doped up, I could doze off during the sermon. So it's okay if you doze off. It's not okay if I. So let's get through this together. <clears throat> but I'm just giving you that <clears throat> warning ahead of time. So here we are at the dawn of another new year. Uh, but before we dive into the new year, let me ask you a question looking back over this past year. Has there been any, any times in this past year? Now, I know, I know the answer to the question already, and the answer is yes, so I do get that. But I'm asking you more to, to, ju to join with me in thought process. Any times in this past year where you have found yourself in a moment saying, I wish I could do that over. I wish I could get that moment back. Any area of life in the past year where you'd say, ah, oh, I just like to start fresh. I mean, that happens all the time. I mean, with Diana and I, our conversations and in marital relationships happens all the time where, I mean, just the other day we got, you know, we're in the middle of it and I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'd give anything if I could restart this one. I wish I could restart this, this dialogue. I'd give anything if I could go back and take back my original answer and come back with a different answer. And that happens in our lives, but beyond a conversation or two, any area in your life where you'd stop and think over the past year, you know, I wish I could I wish I could redo that. I wish I could do, you know, get a do-over, if you will. If you're a golfer, you understand the word mulligan. In the golf world, a mulligan's a wonderful thing. Uh, in the golf world, if you, you're golfing with a group of guys or part, a team, whatever, and you say, hey, let's, we, all, we all get a mulligan. A mulligan, a nine is generous. A mulligan, a, 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 every hole would be fantastic. And the mulligan is a do-over. I mean, if you don't know what that means, quite honestly, you, hit, you set up your ball, you hit it, you hit it into the woods. It's completely out of play. And you go mulligan. And that means the first one never even happened. Isn't that a great concept? 
It never even happened. It's like when you put that ball down the second time, it's the first time. Don't you wish you had that in life? So my question would be in a starting place, any areas in your thought process? Uh, maybe, maybe you thought a couple times, I could use a fresh career start, a fresh you know, uh, new job start, uh, a fresh uh, new business start, maybe a new credit card start. Now by that, I don't mean adding another credit card. I mean getting out of debt start, uh, not just adding debt. Maybe it's a relationship fresh start. Maybe it's a relationship with someone where you just think, man, this thing's just going south and wish I'd get a fresh start there. Maybe a diet fresh start. What might be that area for you? Now, if that, if that has happened to you in the past year, then I ask you to stick with me as I want to talk about the idea of fresh starts. I want to talk about coming into this beginning of this year because let's be honest, everyone wants, likes, needs fresh starts. Fresh starts are not limited to kids or teenagers who've made bad choices. We oftentimes think those are the people who really need the fresh starts, but it's not limited to them. It's not limited to the young or the immature. And quite honestly, adults need fresh starts. And I would even go on to say that adults need fresh starts more than young, immature teenagers need fresh starts. You know why? Because the young, immature teenagers, they don't even know they need a fresh start. You know, half the time they're just wandering through life and you can look at their life going, oh boy, I need to restart that. But they don't even see it. We adults, we know. We know pretty well, don't we? When we blow it how we wish we could undo it or start over. Adults need fresh starts. Christians need fresh starts. People who go to church need fresh starts. People who don't go to church need fresh starts. You're never too old, and it's never too late for a fresh start. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And the truth is, January, the new year, is always the great time uh, for new beginnings and new starts. We love the idea of the word new um, you know, we put with it the idea of new and start or new and improved. And, you know, we get thrilled with the idea. I mean, think about it. You go to the store to go shopping this afternoon and go to buy something. Which do you buy? The one that's labeled uh, old and, and bad or new and improved? I mean, we like the idea of new, except for the new Coke they did a number of years ago. That was just horrible. That was a bad idea. But you know what's interesting? They quickly, they quickly pulled out that one, too. They quickly said, hey, it is a bad mistake. But the truth of it is, in most of our lives, we love the idea of new. And I want you to know God loves the idea of new. God is all about new. God is all about a new you. In fact, I want to encourage you this morning right away, because for some of us here this morning, um, if I ask you to think about a thing, about some area where you might want a fresh start, you might have a particular thing, a particular area, you, you might land on one. But for some of you, you have this whole general feel about you that you just wish you could do a life new start. Some of us have this feeling that at times that life gets so bogged down, we just kind of like, oh, I wish I could just start everything over. I just need you to hear this. Do you realize that when God sees you, God sees you through the eyes of newness? If you are here, even as a starting place, and you've got some baggage in your life, some things that you know, have been dragging you, you've been dragging along with you, if you will, and you'd love to think, I just like a whole new me. Do you know that when God sees you, he sees the new you? Now, he loves you and takes you just as you are, but he sees the new you. He sees what new looks like in you, and he wants to help you get there because God is all about new. So today before communion, we are going to share in communion. If you didn't get a communion cup, you have a little time to go grab one. But we're going to share in communion. But before that, I want to look at an Old Testament book of the Bible and an an occasion with an Old Testament character. His name is Isaiah. And in fact, God says to Isaiah, there's a new thing I'm doing. There's a new thing, and I want you to be a part of it. And here's what it says in Isaiah 43, 19. See, God speaking, see, I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and in streams in the wasteland. God says to Isaiah, then he says to you and to me today, I need you to know, Scott, that I'm doing a new thing. Do you see, do you not see, do you not perceive the fact that I'm the God of newness? Do you not perceive the fact that every single day when you get up, it's a new day? It's a new opportunity for you. God says, I'm the God of newness. I'm doing this new thing. Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you perceive it? I want to look this morning at a moment, particular moment that Isaiah has with God. It's a moment that God wants to have with every single one of us, and not just once. But here's the story. It's in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It begins like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and, th- <clears throat> door and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among un- a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, <clears throat> and with it he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Now, before we go any further, we need to to be extremely practical here. I'm going to ask you to do something. On the the, uh, computer tablet of your brain... I'm going to ask you right now in this moment, on that computer tablet called your brain, I'm going to ask you to write down what is an area in your life where you'd love for God to do a new, fresh thing. For just a moment here, on that tablet in your brain, just write down what's an area in your life where you would like God to do the new, fresh thing. Go ahead and do it. Now, take it right up front. Listen, your brain's not that big, so don't try to write an autobiography here. Just a thing. It might be a word, it might be a thought, it might be a name, but where do you want God to do the fresh thing in your life? Where does change need to take place? And don't let this today be some academic process that we go through. Make it life-changing. In fact, you've heard me use this term, I'll use it yet again. Don't let today be educational for you, may it be transformational for you. But yeah, be a moment where you can say, you know what, I, I actually want to deal with this thing. I don't want you to hear my words. I want God to speak to us this morning. So let me pray to that end. Bow your heads if you would. Father, this morning you speak. And I ask that you speak to me. Not through me. Speak to me. Because as I hear your voice and as I address the things in my own life, then I have authority. Then I have permission to speak in such a way that allows other people to address things in their life. So we ask this morning that we would hear from you. I do not need, <clears throat> we do not need further education. I need transformation. And I ask you to do that very thing in our lives this morning. I know, Father, right now that there are some that will grab hold of this moment because they desperately want transformation. May this be their moment. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's see how the text begins. First thing it says in verse six, the very first, in chapter six, very first, very first verse, it says, "In the year that King Uzziah died." <clears throat> now, if we look at that, we immediately say, "Okay, he's referencing a point in time." In the year the king died, he, there's a there's a chronological calendar there, and he's marking a point in time on the calendar that would be just part of the historical process. But if you stare at that a little bit and you let it sink in for a little bit, you begin to see something that kind of becomes true for us, pops out. It says, in the year the king died, in the year the king died, the king died. Question for you. Do you know of any human death that happens that doesn't bring with it pain? Now, I'm not talking about the pain of a person dying. But think about the people in your life. Have you gone through anything in your life where there's been a loss of human life in your life where it doesn't produce pain? And the answer is, well, it always produces pain. There it is. There's our first truth. The most significant, fresh start you will ever experience in your life typically always starts with pain. Isn't that true? The most significant, fresh start you'll ever go through in your life has happened because there's been something that happened before that that produced in you pain. Now, none of us want pain. None of us want that. But the reality of it is we're slow to change. We are slow to change. We'll stay just the way that we are until something presses us and pushes us to that point. So here's the first step. 
I'll give you a couple of steps on having fresh starts at last. <clears throat> First step, identify the pain. Identify the pain. For Isaiah, the pain was the king died. There was personal loss in his life. That was the pain moment. But that doesn't have to be a physical death for you. Maybe it's a physical death. It might be the death of a relationship. It might be the death of a marriage. Maybe the death of a dream. It might be something else that's taking place that has created a moment in you that has created a painful sense that gets your attention. I would say that by pain, it doesn't have to be some great heartbreaking moment, but it does have to be something that typically begs the question in our mind, something has to change. What is it? What needs to change? The statement of identifying the pain means that we have to stop and say, so what's wrong? What's the issue? What's pressing me to this place? What can I, can I not ignore anymore? See, that's what pain does. You know, the painful moments of life are actually moments in life where you can't ignore them. Now, you can walk away from them. You can pretend they don't exist, but you don't ignore them. When you've got pain, you know it's there. <clears throat> Some of you know this very well. A pain will come up, and you won't go to the doctor for a long, long time. Why? Well, because I can live with it. Man, we live with a lot of pain. And something happens where one day you go, I got to go figure this out. See, that's that. This is the issue here that I want to talk about. That when the moment comes, there's what's pressing us to this place, at least own it and acknowledge the peace that says, okay, so something does have to change. See, a lot of people walk right past their pain and pretend that nothing is wrong, that nothing needs changing. Or the other problem is for many people is they're oblivious to it. They're oblivious to that which needs to change. So where are you at with that? First step is to acknowledge that pain. The truth is, for most of us, we often know exactly what has to change. We know exactly the area where we have to go deal with this issue, but we just won't face it. So I would say, first step, stop pretending. Finish the statement. I need to change what? Finish the statement. And I need to change it because of, finish the statement. I need to change this thing because I'm tired. I need to change this thing because I'm lost. I need to change this thing because I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to change this thing because I'm caught in a pattern, a pattern that doesn't stop, a pattern that keeps going on, and I keep repeating it, and it's a pattern of bad decisions. Something needs to change. What is it for you? You want a fresh start? Then be honest and ask and, and, and deal with that pain piece that says, what exactly needs to change? Keep going. <clears throat> In our text, uh, Isaiah chapter 6, first couple of verses together here. It says, now, I saw the Lord. So it started by saying, I saw, in the year that King Uzziah died, then he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, listen very carefully. There is a critical moment, and in our lives, moments. There are critical moments in our lives when all of us will be confronted with an issue or issues that will push us to change. Every single one of us, no one is immune from the fact that in your life, at some point in time, you will be confronted with some kind of pain, something pressing you where you understand and you know full well out something has to change. And this is where a lot of people get in trouble. Something has to change. They identify the pain. They identify that which needs to change. And then they turn the wrong way to try to change it. This is critical. This is so critical. Because typically our first move is we turn to ourselves. How many times in my life, how many times in your life have you identified some area of your life that needs changing and you found yourself saying, Scott, you have to do better. Right? It's all about you. Scott, you got to fix this. Why did you do that? You know better. I'm not going to do that again. We turn to ourselves. That is a losing path. Or we look at other people. We turn to someone else or something else to help us. Now, listen, if this story was from some of our stories, it would sound a lot differently. Here's, here's Isaiah's story. Just listen to me. Isaiah's story. In the year that King Uzziah died, let me change that. In the year of my pain, because he was close to the king, we expect, and if not closer, there was a fondness there of who this king was. You love God. So there's pain that's associated with it. So insert that word. So here it goes. Here it goes. Here's the biblical side of it. Isaiah says, in the year of my pain, 
he says, I saw God. In the year of my pain, I looked to God. Here's how some of our stories would be written. In the year of my pain, I got drunk. In the year of my pain, I turned to alcohol. In the year of my pain, I turned to smoking. In the year of my pain, I gave up. In the year of my pain, I turned to a self-help book. In the year of my pain, I began the new me. Isaiah says, in the year of my pain, I looked up. So you need to understand there's a critical moment here where we've got to make sure we look in the right direction. I've still, I've shared this through the years. I'm still a late night guy. Um, and I, I love to be up late and I love to channel surf when I'm up late. Uh, you know, it's odd, odd enough. Maybe it's just a guy thing. But between 9 and 10 o'clock, I can fall asleep in a heartbeat. I'm sitting in that chair, 9 or 10 o'clock, I'm going down. I mean, in fact, I got to get up and go do something or I'm going down. Now, I'm not going down for long. And then I'm up. Once I'm up, I'm, I'm up. And I've always been a late night guy. I still am. And so, you know, almost every night at 9 or 10 o'clock, I say, why don't you just go up and go to bed? Well, we know that doesn't work. I mean, why, why waste the energy? I mean, just the energy to get there. I'll be wide awake by the time I get there. And so about midnight, she'll typically say, hey, I'm going to head up. And usually it's like, yep, I'll, I'll, I'll be right behind you. I'm never right behind her. You know, 1.30, 2 o'clock, I'm, I'm wired. I do my sermons. Some of you can't even relate to that. And just so you know, if you can't relate to that and you get up early, I can't relate to you. So it's, it goes both ways. I can't relate to that at all. I can get up when I have to. And, you know, if I get up in the morning, I can do that. But that's my, my norm. And so my sermons, I told you that on Tuesday nights are my sermons. I, I never go home before 2 o'clock, ever. That's usually 2.30, 3 a.m. And I'm in my prime, man. It just all flows. So when Diane goes to bed, I got the, the remote to myself, which is a key thing because I love to channel surf. You know, Diane will get so annoyed because for two hours I can sit there and just go every 10 seconds. And she'll just land it somewhere. Why? You know, I can watch, I can watch a dozen shows. It's fantastic. I watch this show long. Oh, I love this movie. And it goes commercial. Oh, next. Oh, I love this movie. Next commercial. I mean, I can watch like a dozen movies. I can watch sporting events. I can see. I can, uh, two hours. I can cover a hundred different things. And she's like, just leave it one place. That's why she goes to bed. And I surf. And I have to tell you, if you look hard enough, and you don't have to look that hard, you can still find, not like it used to be. I have to work a little harder. You can still hit the, the infomercials. And I have to tell you, I really like those. Um, where you got people on there, male and female, usually with really nice big teeth, um, well-coiffed hair, and they sit there and they will tell you, I can fix you. It just, just, just pick the channel, what is it needs fixing? I need money. I can make you a millionaire. I have an investment system. I can help you. And you know what? There's tons of us that go, ooh, I want to be a millionaire. And we buy the books on how to be a millionaire. We buy the system. And just keep looking, and you will find that they've got an answer for every single thing in your life that bothers you. And for about $39.95, they can fix it. Now, you have to give them a credit card, and you can cancel at any time. But you're going to pay that $39.95 either monthly or yearly. You're going to pay that for 10 years because you'll forget about it and never go back to cancel it. And they're making a mint on selling you in the fact they can change you. Now, here's my point here that you're going to see. Their system doesn't work. What works for them, it works for them to get you into the system. But let me give you the second point. Full starts that last Full start, uh, fresh starts, I should say, fresh starts that last, fresh starts that are legitimate, you've got to realize it all belongs to God. Fresh starts that matter, it's all about God. Life-altering changes don't last without God. Fresh starts happen because of God. You see, God is not just another fresh start motivator. They're all over the place. The blogs are out, the shows are on, the books are out. Motivator. God is not just another fresh start motivator. God is the fresh start finisher. He's the fresh start starter. He's the fresh start finisher. God changes everything. So the key question to be asked, honestly ask yourself is this, then who is the God of my life? 
Who is the God of my life? Now, please, when I ask you that question, please don't give the token Christian answer, which is, well, of course, God is the God of my life. I'm in church. I'm asking you to be honest here and ask, what, are there any, anything else in your life? Are there other things? Are there other things in your life that you kind of creep in as the center of your attention? You see, some of you are so motivated to be rich that it creeps in that that's my, I want, I want that, I want to be that. I want to have that. I want that job. I want that person. I want that relationship. It kind of creeps in. What other things become the objects of your affection? What is it in your life that might be another object of your affection that if you're honest, kind of bangs head with God, pushing God off the throne? See, Isaiah says, in the year of my pain, I see God. I see only God. Holy, high, lifted up, exalted, and the song in the background is holy, holy, holy. Lasting change does not happen without God. Give me the third key. Third key. You got to be honest about yourself. If you want lasting change in your life, in in, in any one area or, or general area of life, you have to be honest about who you are. Honest about yourself. Look what happens to Isaiah in verse five. So he sees this scene and immediately he cries out, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined from a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. You say, what does that mean? It means in that moment, Isaiah gets a view of God, and when he sees God, he sees himself, and he says, I am a loser. In that moment, Isaiah has an honest, honest, transparent talk with himself about who he is, and he goes, I am the worst of the worst. Now, make sure you get this. Isaiah does not come to this reality about his own heart by looking at himself in a mirror. Isaiah does not get this reality of the truth of his own heart by comparing himself at other people. Nope. I mean, because don't forget, we've talked about this. You never compare yourself you know, to, to people who are better than you. We look at the people who are worse. That, that, that doesn't happen this way. Make sure you get this picture. Isaiah gets this honest view of himself because the light of God's glory exposes who he really is. We get this true view of who we are only when we stand in front of the glory of God because God's glory exposes the reality of who we are. It exposes my heart. I'll give you a couple of examples here. Years ago, we were building this building, in fact, originally, the first, first building project here. And uh, we were getting towards completion. And I came in, uh, came in one day, and one of, our, one of our church folks, now long gone, gone home with Jesus, but uh, was, called me over and says, you gotta get, get in here, you gotta look at this, look at this. And in some of the hallways and our uh, rooms throughout the building that have you know, just drywall on it, he's got a flashlight in his hand, and he's got it on, and he's laying the fat flashlight up against the wall, not shining it at the wall, but putting it up on the wall so the light shines this way. And he's scanning, going, look at this. Have you ever done that? Do not go home and do this in your house. If you go home and do this to your house, you will think you've got the worst built house ever made. He, you put the light against it and just start going like this, and you see every, every bump, every flaw, every seam, every screw hole, everything. And I'm young and new, and I go, oh, wow, the rip, that's horrible. I get the contractor, contractor comes, we look at this, turn the flashlight on. This contractor was about as kind and sweet as he could be, and he smiled, he goes, oh, that does look bad. He said, turn that light off real quick. We turn it off, he goes, ah, that looks better. Now, at first read, you kind of go, well, that's wrong. You know, turn the light back on. He goes, no, turn the light on. He said, he said he'll, he'll, and he'll, he'll smile, sweet guy. He had a smile on his face. He goes, I, I'm sorry, I must, must have understood. I didn't realize, is part of your worship experience people bring flashlights and put them on the wall? <laughs> and as nice as he could be, he would say this. He said, Pastor, very sincerely, he said, you don't pay us enough, but don't be bothered about it. There isn't enough money to create perfection. There isn't enough money to make that wall perfect. And he said, quite honestly, I can take you to any house, any home, yours and mine included, and do this light test, and it will fail. And I can fix everything that you see, but when you turn the light back on, all that means is now it's gonna expose the yet the new blemishes that haven't been fixed. And he turns the light back off, and he goes, you know what? 
He said, all the natural lights and everything on, he said, that's a pretty good wall. Now, friends, he wasn't trying to get out of doing work. It was a good wall. I can take you in my home, and when the sun comes in this one side window, I, it exposes a bad wall, and it's a bad wall. But you get to what happens. Light exposes things. You ever have one of these mirrors that is a magnifying mirror? Diane's got a small one at home. We were in a hotel this was some time ago, one of those big ones, about this big. And on one side, it's just a regular mirror. On the other side, it's these magnifying things. I don't know how they work, but they are incredible. And I, I confess to you that typically, I was at a, at a conference, I was running out, and normally, you know, i I'd be honest, when I look in the mirror, a regular mirror on any given day, I, I look and I kind of go, not bad. I'm not saying perfect, but I'm going, Okay. And I'm on my way to this meeting, and I turn the light on real quick, and I look at this mirror that she's got, she turned the wrong way, and I turn it, and it's magnifying a hundred times. I turn the light on, and it's like, I'm hideous. <laughs> Seriously, look away, look away. Don't look at me. Why don't anybody look at me? Because it magnifies everything to the place where you're just a hideous human being. Who would invent such a hideous mirror? <laughs> now, that's the point here that you have to understand. God exposes the real you. God, the glory of who God is, gives you insight into your real heart. So the question then, real and up close, is what's the condition of your heart? And be honest, what is the true condition of your heart? You see, I tend to want to believe my heart's pretty good, but it's those moments with God where I have face-to-face with God where I realize, God, if I'm honest, the reality of it is there's a dark side to me. There's a dark side to who I am. If I'm honest, I, I, I can honestly say, God, yes, I really do want to please you, but there are times absolutely where I defy you. And the truth of it is, I'm happy to do so because there's a darkness about it. Whenever you're willing to take an inside look and see the real condition of your heart, you will see that it's really not pretty and that you need God's help. Now, I confess, I think about this a lot. Because I often think about the fact I know me, and there's a darkness. We were in Germany that was a couple weeks ago. I shared that coming back from Germany. One that we had some free time. We were in, a, in a, a, a mall area that was packed, and this huge long escalator. And my first thought was how fun it would be, packed escalator, to get on the escalator, go to the top, get to the very top, and go, oh, tie my shoe, and just bend down and tie my shoe. I know, isn't that horrible? But you like it too. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I just want to stack them all up. This past summer, this past summer, I'm driving in the islands, you know, right here, the Champlain Islands. And at one point, I have to slow down and wait because there's like this 50, 50 cyclists in a chain. You know, they're, they're cycling and they're stopping and whatever. And I'm driving by and I'm looking at them. And there they all are. They're all skinny. They're in spandex. And yeah, have you ever put on spandex? I did. I look like a sausage. I mean, I look like a giant sausage link. And I, I'm sitting there, and I, at one point I say to Diane, I don't want anyone to get hurt. I just want to trip up the first bike and watch them all just stack up these skinny, skinny spandex people. Now, here's the deal. That's the, that's the fun side of my dark side. But here's what you know. You're laughing a little bit because you've got some darkness too. But here's the hard part, friends. That's the fun side of my dark side. That's, that's the good side of darkness. I got dark. I got moments where I absolutely defy God. And you know your own heart. See, why do we need to reveal our heart? Because when, when I reveal my heart and expose the fact that there is a dark side to my heart. When I do that, I no longer have to be afraid of it. I no longer have to be afraid of it coming out because I've exposed it. I no longer have to hide it or pretend that it's all good and doesn't exist. By revealing it, I can now give it to God and now it can be dealt with. And so I ask you, so what's the condition of your heart? Whenever you are honest before God, there will always be things exposed that you know are not right and need to be made right. Made right. Now, look what happens next. Um, in verse 7, so there's a seraphim, grabs a hot coal, and look at it, brings a hot coal over, and when he touched my mouth with the hot coal, he said this, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin 
atone for. You see, once you acknowledge the condition of your heart, you're ready to clean up your past. You're ready for this fourth step. And the fourth step is this. You want a fresh start, then deal with the past. Don't run, don't run from it. Confess it. Get it out. Get it done. Get it over with. And look at the words that God uses here. Your guilt is taken away. Wouldn't you like that? For some of you, the thing that you have carried for so much of your life, wouldn't you like to have that no longer have any power in your life? Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. You see, friends, God does not want you to live carrying around the regrets of your past. God does not want you to go through life carrying around the guilt of your sins. He wants to give you a new beginning and a fresh start, which means he'll take all those, and you get to dump them off. Look at these two verses in Psalms. Psalm 32, 5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. <clears throat> Look at the last part. All my guilt is gone. Psalm 103, verse 3. He forgives all my sins, and he heals all my diseases. You see, if I don't confess my ugly heart to God, then it stays ugly. But when I confess my ugly heart to God, when I confess my sins, and I give him my shortcomings, then I got the fresh start. Then God can do the new thing. So here's the question for you. So what areas of your life are you holding on to? What are the areas in your life where you, kind of, where you would say, yeah, I, I know what it is? Not kind of. Here's the deal. I've done this long enough in my Christian walk, meaning I've, I've been a Christian long enough and with my Christian walk to know that if I ever stop long enough to say to God, is there anything in my life that maybe I should be working on? Immediately, I know what it is. That's just the nature of this beast. Listen, if you're sitting here going, oh, I wish I had something, I wish I had something, then you are just not being honest. Because when I say to God, God, if there's anything there, just show me. And God will say, right here, this is what I want you to work on. This is the area. So that question comes out, then what is it for you? And what's the area of your life where you just go, God, what might it be? Um, who do you know that you're in outs with that you have to go make right? What do you know that, that you know just this needs to be dealt with? Now, here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's my promise I'm going to make to you as your pastor. I commit to you that I'm going to pray for you from this point forward, I'm going to pray that your life will be absolutely miserable and that you suffer until you finally go and make it right. That's my gift to you. And the reason I say that is because we never pray that prayer ourselves, do we? When's the last time you said this to God? God, I got this area in my life I refuse to deal with. God, would you please make me miserable and suffer until the time where I actually deal with that area? You ever pray that prayer? No. So I'm willing to pray it for you. It's my gift. It's just, it's just, I'm a giver. I'm a giver. Listen, don't pray that for me. I don't really need all of you praying that. Let me just pray it for you, and that'll be sufficient, okay? But that's that point of this. So where is it? You see, God longs to give you a fresh start, but he knows that it can't start until you finally come clean. So let's get to this last step. We said, first of all, identify the pain. Usually there's some moment that presses us to, to open our eyes. What's the thing opening your eyes? Remember, it's all about God. No lasting change without him. The self-help books, they're good, and you can have a plan in place and all those kind of practical things. Helpful. Life-changing stuff's all God. Reveal the true condition of your heart. As long as you deny it, then it's going to come back to bite you. Expose it. You put it at rest. Then the past. Clean out the dirt. Just say, okay, Lord, here's the stuff I got to go make right, and I got it, and I know it. And then comes this last step. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who's going to go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. So what does that mean? Last step means is you give God your yes. The last step you say to God, God, I'm yours. I'm all in. I'm yours. In this verse, Isaiah says, okay, God, I will be your person. I'll do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. I'm all in. Just a moment, we'll be sharing communion. So don't need your cup right away, but make sure you have a cup close by. And the truth is, friends, this. 
There are very few things in your life that we actually control, right? There are very few things that we can actually control. We try to make our plans and do all those things. Diane and I, we've been spent the day yesterday going through, you know, basement stuff and packaging things up and, you know, and getting rid of some things. You, you make your plans for life, for your job, your career, whatever you may do. But the truth of it is, you don't know. Uh, last evening, Diane, her phone, you know, beeped and she went and looked and I heard her say just, oh, no. It's like, what happened? Uh, I heard one of her dear friends High school friends went to church together, uh, grew up together, um, same age. They've kept in contact through the years. We've, we've seen them. She reads this note, and this is a dear friend that there, she and her husband had just, just bought a new house. To him. It talked about all the new things. Oh, look, we found a place for a garden, all these different things. And by text, she says, I'm so sorry, friends, to do this, but I'm exhausted from telling everybody person to person. My husband died in a car accident yesterday, last night. And immediately as I'm sitting there, our heart's broken for her. We know her. We know her family. But immediately my, my thought is I'm sitting there going, no one knows for sure tomorrow. Nobody knows. There are so many things that we think we are in control of. And the truth of it is, I don't control any of them. And accordingly, accordingly a lot of us will live with stress, worry, anxiety over all sorts of things. And they're all out of your control. Listen, friends. Accordingly, because of all that, we'll have heartache in life. We'll try to control things that are uncontrollable. We'll try to control other people's situations, life circumstances. But there is one thing in your life that you can control that changes everything. The one thing you control is your yes to God. That's your control. And when I give God my yes, Lord... I'm yours. You're, I'm all in. And that doesn't mean that from this day forward, perfection in your life, no more issues to battle. You're going to have them. And when you face them, you hand them over. You can control your yes. And when you do that, it's life changing. Now, I'm not suggesting this, this, these steps are as easy as going one, two, three, four. They are quite easy, one, two, three, four, but they're not, they're simple. They're not easy, put it that way. But maybe they'll be difficult. Maybe it's going to take time, but it's worth it. Find your communion cups. And as you find your communion cup, don't open it yet, but if you find that communion cup, let me just ask you again, what's so, is there any area for you where you would say, I want this to be a defining moment, God. I want this to be a transformational moment where this thing I'm no longer going to carry anymore. And if you're here this morning, if you're visiting with us, you know that, or you wouldn't know this, but just, I want you to know that you don't have to be a member of our church to share in communion. Some churches will say, oh, you got to be a member. You don't have to be a member. And in fact, you can even reject God and still share in communion. It doesn't, but doesn't, because it doesn't mean anything to you. It means nothing. You're just going to go through the paces to look like everyone else. But you need to know that when we share in communion, we don't do this just to go through the paces. You see, a little wafer there that we're going to pull out in a second, that little wafer is the symbol of, of bread, which is the symbol of Jesus Christ saying, my body is broken for you, which means I'm going to die for your sins. So when we hold that bread in our hand and we put it in our mouth, and Jesus says, I want you to take this and remember what I've done for you. We're saying, thank you, Jesus, for taking my sin. I would say to you, if you've been here first time, been here a month maybe King Christmas Eve, maybe a year, 10 years, if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, I would say, why not today? Why not simple, a simple prayer which says, God, thank you for sending your son. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Take my shortcomings. Take the past. Take it all. You can have it. He'll take it. I make you the Lord of my life. If you've not done that, I would say, do that. What a great start this year. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, any area where you would say that, Lord, this little wafer reminds me of this particular area where I give it over to you again. And, and when you died for me, you died for this area. You died for this thing. So I give that to you. Take it. And of course, we're sharing the cup, the little grape juice here. And that grape juice is such a great picture because that picture of that new beginning, that new star. Bow your heads if you would, please. Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, as we come out of the Christmas, se- the Christmas season celebrating you coming into this world. You came into our world for a purpose, to go to that cross to take our sin, that we would have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Thank you for that. For the person here this morning, perhaps, that has never placed their faith in you, maybe today would be the day. And even if right now they're saying, but there's so many things I don't understand, that's okay. Learn along the way. But I don't need to have a lot of understanding that someone loved me enough to die for my sin and to give me a new beginning and a fresh start. So maybe for that person, maybe in this moment right now, they would simply say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Forgive me. I make you Lord of my life. And may they experience a transformation that takes place when you make a life new. I ask for those of us who are followers of Jesus that we know what it's like to battle things along the way, that perhaps today would be a day two of transformation where we say, Lord, this particular area, I I want it to be yours, not mine, and I release it. As we'll take this bread in just a moment, Lord, remind us that it's your body broken for us. And this cup of juice, remind us that it's that picture of the new beginning that makes us clean. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would just take your cup and just peel back the top cellophane piece so you can get that little wafer. Grant, it's not a loaf of bread, but it is the symbol of the body of Christ where he said, my body broken for you. Let's share it together. And then peel back that next piece, the foil. The grape juice that's there represents, the, Jesus said, this is my blood poured out for you. What it means is this, it makes us clean and gives us new beginning. Let's share in that new beginning together. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song together, then I'll offer a closing prayer.
shall come with shouts of acclamation and lead me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and So just before I pray, one final word of good news. God's fresh starts and new beginnings are not limited to New Year's. And they're not limited to Sundays. In fact, God's fresh start department's open 24-7. And every moment you need it, you grab hold of it, and God says, I'll do the new thing in your life. Father, we thank you for your truth. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the the giver of all new things, and you're the giver of fresh starts. Remind us of that truth. As we leave this place, may we be renewed with encouragement and excitement, because every single day is the opportunity for a new day with you. Dismiss us in your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.